Do you ever wonder how he did it? How Jesus did this? Do you ever wonder, you know, as Dennis was saying, you know, one day they're yelling, crown him, and the next five days from now, they're saying, crucify him. How do you do it when people disappoint you? Really? How, how, how do you handle it when, when people, in, instead of really joining you in your pain, they add to it? You know, how do you do it when people misunderstand you? How do you respond to them? When, when, when people, even in their own ignorance, I mean, the folks there, they were ignorant. They, they were, as Dennis said, following along with the crowd. But how have you responded when someone has disappointed you? They've stomped on you instead of helped you up. I remember, uh, this was a couple years ago, at, at home, and we were, we were cooking in the kitchen, the family, and uh, we were cooking some pecans. And, and, and the, the rest of the family said the pecans were, were burnt. I just said they, they were well done. <laughs> you know, these are, these are good. I, I like them. And, and I was even sort of excited because none of them did. That meant all for me. And then the next day I came in and the pecans were gone. And I said, what happened? They go, Dad, they were burnt. We threw them out. And in the high watermark of my maturity, I stomped and said, stomped out of the kitchen and said, you bunch of idiots. <laughs> Obviously a light example. You think I was going to share you with you a uh, serious one. I think I've blocked those out of my memory. Now, how, how is it do you respond when people wrong you? How, how did Jesus do it? You know, how, how did he, as they misunderstood him, and as he hung on the cross, as he made that journey, how did he respond without vengeance? How did he respond without hatred? How did he respond without anger? How did Jesus do it? We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, just the first four verses of of that um, uh, writing, where, where the writer of Hebrews gives us some insight. Gives us real insight. Now what he's writing about, he's, he's trying to encourage Christians. He's trying to encourage us in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of abandonment, in the midst of persecution. And for them, they were being jailed, they were being slaughtered. And, and so in the midst of, of their life, in the midst of ours, he's trying to tell other followers of Jesus, listen, this is how Jesus did it. So that you too may... Respond like Jesus when others disappoint you, when others let you down, when others misunderstand you, when others wrong you. It's uh, found on page uh, 978. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And we do praise him. We glorify him. We magnify him. We, we want to, to continue to worship him, even as we hear about him. So speak to us. 
Enable us to to praise you. Enable us to, to hear from you. We want to continue to grow deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. See, he's encouraging the crowd. Looking to Jesus, and he focuses on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, So that your struggle, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Got to work on getting the lighting a little brighter. I had to get my glasses out because of that. So... They gathered as we did, celebrating Jesus as king, as leader, as Lord, as the one who's the creator, the one who sustains all that is, the one who is most beautiful and wonderful, and rightly so. They gathered before him to celebrate him and to to marvel him, to fall at his feet. They worshipped him, but they didn't get it. The crowd didn't get it because what they wanted, they, they wanted the king to now come rule with power power and might of violence in order to overthrow the government and take over. That's what they wanted Jesus to do. They didn't get it. The way he was coming was on a donkey in humility. He was coming in love and compassion, in submission to the Father. Not in submission to the ways of society, to the ways of the world then. And so, they misunderstood him at the beginning of the week. And then, five days later, they were fed up with him and either abandoned him or joined with the crowd to crucify him. And what does Jesus do there? As the crowd crowns him as king on Sunday and then crucifies him on the cross on Friday... Nobody else is really there to support him on the way to the cross. The most degrading and despised form of execution. Does he respond with vengeance? Does he he give them the silent treatment for eternity? Does he blame them? You think he's on the cross, you know, saying, when I get down from here, I'm going to rub their nose in it. You know, you think he's, he's sitting there saying, I'm just going to watch and see if they finally get it and get it right. 
You, you think he, he, or do you think he took the real high road and stomped and called him a bunch of idiots? He did none of that. And the writer gives us the insight as to why and how he does. And, and it's because he has in his sight in his view, in his mind. What does he have? He has the joy that was set before him. See, that's what he's living for. He's living for that joy. What is that joy? I mean, what we're told where he's headed, he's headed to the right hand of the Father, right? I mean, the end of the the verse, verse 2, it says that's where he's going to go. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And the joy is being with his Father. And celebrating what has happened. Celebrating what's accomplished on the cross. You see, Jesus, in His fully human form, He gives us the example. He shows us what it means to be fully human. And it's to live for the joy of the Father. And He knows the Father. So He knows what brings Him joy. Um, I've known my, my wife, Kathy, for about 40 years now. We met in third grade, Mrs. Stepp's class. Now, we've only been married for oh, a little shy of 29 years. And I'm a slow learner, but I've learned a little bit about what makes her happy, what brings her joy. And, and the cool thing, and this is where, you know, it was a double, triple, quadruple blessing, you know, that, that I get to be married to her because she doesn't have high standards. You know, I mean, it's simple things. And you just got to be attuned. I just got to be attuned. Man, just, she'll give hints along the way. Well, she's an extrovert, you know, so she talks. She processes out loud. So again, man, quintuple blessing. You know, so I don't have to figure out what it is. And so she, she and Hannah went down to Houston last month to go visit um, her, uh, her mom, my mother-in-law. And, um, and um, you know, she gave me real basic things, you know. Feed Nate, be sure he doesn't go to the hospital. If he does, go with him. You know, those kind of basic things. But, see, I'm a high achiever here. I can do that plus. And I knew, I knew that what she wanted, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about just raking out the flower beds. You know, and and so one afternoon, Nate's still asleep, you you know, teenager. Right? And, and so, and I've done all the important stuff like catch up on ESPN and all that. And, and I go, I'm going to rake out the flower beds. And it was even as I was raking out the flower beds, I, I was sort of happy. I was whistling because I knew. I knew that this was going to bring joy. This was going to be a smile. This was going to bring a smile. The minute she pulled into the house, pulled into the driveway, when they, when they got back home. And, and sure enough, when she came in, it was actually the next day because it was dark outside then. So I had to wait one more day. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her. She got up, went outside, came in. Hugs and kisses for everybody. Smiling. You rake the flower beds. They look great. How much more so do you think when the Son and the Father joined back together? Was there joy? 
was their joy at the reconciliation of all of creation. How much more? Maybe you know Jesus went to sleep that night. That's not really theologically appropriate. But in his fullness of his humanity, which he wasn't then, but they saw each other, the Father and the Son, there was great joy as they looked and saw the reconciliation, the peace, the shalom of all of creation. See, the the Son knows what the Father loves. And what does the Father love? For God so loved the world. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He brought the world into complete reconciliation to the Father. Where there was division, where they were enemies, they are now made friends once again. It was a party when the Father and the Son came together. It was a joy like no other that we even collectively have ever experienced when the Creator came together to celebrate the reunification of the Creator with all of creation. And not just... Not just us with the Father. Because remember, as we looked at, as we've looked at, as we've been going through these last several weeks, looking at what is accomplished at the cross and the eternal reality of peace that is brought. It's not just with me and Jesus, but it's with me and you. It's not just with us and Jesus. It's with us with one another. And it's not just with us with one another. It's us with all of creation that is now brought back into peaceful relationship with the Father. Imagine uh, with me, imagine that you know, the, the father, you know, like a, a human parent or, or teacher or aunt or, or guardian, you know, you know when, and imagine the frustration and sadness that you have when the children you're overseeing can't get along. You know, it's downright heart-wrenching and depressing and deflating. I remember one time, uh, this was a number of years ago, we were, you know, it was a treat to go out to eat, you know. And, and you know, and you've got to be careful because kids will think it's an entitlement. And then, then when it becomes an entitlement, then what they do is they form their own little um, position and then they fight for the place that they want to go to. You know, you know, it's just not worth all of that whether to decide to go to Gold Star or Skyline, right? But you've been there, right? The kids are like, you're ready to go, let's go out to eat. And then they start fighting and arguing and, and even pushing and pulling on one another. And then one time, we just slammed the door, put the keys down and said, you know, there's peanut butter, jelly and bread, there's cereal and milk. Have at it. This is where we're going. You know, and and not, not just to, to blame the kids and the children here. You know, kids, children, um, teenagers. You know, you see your parents fight, or other adults fight. You see them even divorce, or you see them be in such situations that they they can't even connect with you. They can't be with you. That's painful, isn't it? It's painful. How much more does the Father feel that? 
pain. When his creation is broken. Now, the flip side. Think of the joy when they do get along. Think of the the celebration, those times when you've been with your parents and and they were together and they truly loved one another. Or when your, your children, maybe you had to wait a while, but a time came when they really got together and they worked together. Or a team, if you're a coach or you're a teacher. And you you see that. You see people sacrifice their own preferences for the benefit of others and for a common good. How much more so does the Creator of, of all the universe rejoice when at the cross those things that divide us are now destroyed, those walls are down, and now people in Christ can come together and pursue a common goal no matter what their difference is. How much joy and pleasure does that bring to the Father? So how does Jesus then endure such pain, such destruction of his own body? How does he make it through when the people around him have disappointed him, have abandoned him? And they've caused pain. He, he keeps his eye on the joy of living with the Father. He keeps his eye on what brings joy to the Father. Keeps his eye on that joy that's ahead. He also disregards the shame. He, he, he perseveres, he endures, he stands strong through the humiliation, through the physical pain, through the emotional pain of all that he endured this week. He, he did all of that by keeping his eye on the joy and refusing to let the shame of the cross mean anything to him. The lies of our society, the lies of humanity that that we crop up, that we build up, that that say things like, we've got to take ours, I've got to protect myself first and foremost, those are the things that Jesus totally disregards. Neat neat word where he says that he, he disregards the shame. It's to consider something not important enough to be an object of concern. Particularly when evaluated against something else. As he saw the joy of being with the Father, the ways of society had no impact on him. He just disregarded them. He rejected them. He cared nothing for them, disregarded them, was totally unafraid of the rules of the world. The embarrassment, the ridicule, the ignorance of society around him who had no idea what he was doing. But he did, and the Father did. So the others just really had no influence on him. 
He, he rejects on the front end, he rejects the world's accolades and fames. You know, society at first was there saying, Hosanna, you're the greatest. He rejected that. Just totally disregarded it. Because he knew it wasn't in tune with the Father's will. And then at the end of the week, when they were yelling to crucify him, he disregarded that as well. Isn't Jesus beautiful? I mean, isn't he marvelous? In the fullness of his humanity, how much he knows the Father, how much he sees the lies of the world. And we all know that. We've all lived according to the ways of the world that what's important is being good looking. What's important is is having the degrees, is showing off our intelligence. What's important is what we accomplish. Jesus knew, and so do we know, in the depth of our souls, that those things really, I mean, it's not like they're bad. It's just they're insignificant. Jesus knows that, and He lives into it beautifully. He is marvelous. This is what is beautiful. Mark 10, verses 43 through 45. This is Jesus saying, this is, this is the way of the Father. One of the times where he gives us insight that he just disregards the way of society. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. See, society says you're a loser if you don't have sex after your second date. Society says lie, cheat, steal, do what you need to take care of yourself and the people closest to you. Society says work, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. Jesus says to all those, no. Those are, those are lies. What really brings life is living in the joy of the Father. It's not what you accomplish. God could care less what you accomplish. Remember he said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world? He could care less. What you accomplish. It's not that it's bad. It's like, oh, it's nice. What God cares about is who you become. He could care less what you accomplish. What He cares about is who you become. Your character. Your soul. Your joy in Him. What does it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Isn't Jesus marvelous? Absolutely astounding to consider Him because He just disregards the lies of the world and the things that society says makes us important. Our norms and our rules and He focuses on the joy of the Father.
And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. All is well. All is well. All is well. Because God reigns. And the cross has brought peace to all. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, man, hone in on Jesus. Hone in on Jesus. Make him your target. You know, lock in on him. Because he's the one that is beautiful, magnificent, who lives for an eternal joy. He just he doesn't deny the, the, the world or hate the world in, in the ways of society. He just disregards them. They have no impact on him. Man, I want to be like him. We want to be like him. You know, we're living the dash. You know, we're living that dash, that little dash that's in between our birth certificate and our death certificate. That's the dash that we're living right now. You know, and it's great and glorious and wonderful and terrible and horrible all in the same time. But I want to be like Jesus because I don't want to live for the dash. I want to live for eternity. I want to live for, for the joy that lasts forever with the heart of God. I don't want to live for what society says is right and good in this dash. And none of us do. We've we got to hone in, target in on Jesus because He is beautiful. He is marvelous. He knows how to live, not just in the dash, but for all of life that we've been created. C.S. Lewis, who was a Christian um, uh, 1,500 years ago, a really smart one too. The C stands for Clive. That just means you've got to be smart, right? Your first name is Clive. Your middle name is Staples. Clive Staples Lewis. I wonder if it went by C.S. And he tells us that those that live for earth will get nothing. Those that live for heaven will get heaven and earth will be thrown in on the side. Jesus marvelously, beautifully lived for eternity. He didn't live for the dash. He kept his target on the joy of the Father. Just disregarding, disregarding the things of society and the values and the norms. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. Let's be like him. Let's be like Him in all of life. Not just when people disappoint us. Not just in the the challenges and the struggles. Harken back to this. Is your eye on the joy of the Father? Or is it on the the things of society and the things that are around you? It doesn't mean you don't pursue justice. It means you don't pursue vengeance. Sometimes those are confused. Doesn't mean you don't pursue justice, but you pursue justice because that brings joy to the Father. 
Not because it gets you your rights. Let's live for eternity. Not for the dash. Let's follow after the one who truly is beautiful. Amen.